hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. We're here where queer get used to it. And so they did. Over the last 40 plus years, cities like San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Seattle, LA, Miami, they've become meccas for folks in the LGBTQ community. We all love these cities for varying reasons. And for that reason, many of us keep migrating to those cities. But what's so great or maybe difficult about living in these cities? You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, episode 265. And today we're sharing with you five reasons living in a gay city is great, but also five reasons why it may be not so great. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so post your money questions in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. Now let's talk about those gay cities. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere, so banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash happy. Where you live matters and can directly affect how fabulous your life is. And that's what we're talking about today on the Queer Money Podcast, and which is also part of the Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke campaign. One of the best decisions that we ever made in life was after we paid off all of our credit card debt, improved our financial situation and saved for a down payment was when we bought our condo. It was a little over a thousand square feet and it was shockingly, only one and a half times our combined household income at that time. And that helped us make leaps and bounds and kind of get caught up with where we were with our finances. Because up until that point, we were we were kind of behind our peers and always felt like you know we, we weren't doing as well, but we paid off our debt and, we, and we've said to ourselves then, well, if we want to buy a house or we want to buy a condo, what do we want? And we realized that actually owning a gigantic house or owning a lavish condo wasn't really a life goal of ours. Uh, we wanted to have a little bit more freedom and autonomy. Plus, at that particular point in time, we both were working for the same company in the same industry. And we thought, if there's anything that goes on with the company or the industry, uh, we could both be at risk of losing our jobs at the same time. So, so let's try to mitigate any risk that that would bring. And so buying a home that was only one and a half times our income was profound in helping us starting to live the fabulous life that, that I think that we all want. And that's what we want to talk about today because so many people, especially when I think when you're younger LGBTQ, you're thinking, ah, can we try to get older. I can move out of this dusty town. I can move to San Francisco. I can move to Chelsea in New York City. Or I can move to Chicago and, and be around my people. But those places are expensive. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and they, it can have a huge impact on, you know, you mentioned this, that is this is part of the Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke campaign, where you choose to live, not just the city, but where you choose to live within the city that you live in can have a major impact on 
not only the quality of your life, but also the financial aspects of your life. It will have an impact as to whether or not you can truly live the fabulous life that you define for yourself. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at there in the outset is that we made a decision to live in the condo that we did that wasn't in the premier neighborhood, the premier quote unquote gay neighborhoods in Denver. And that literally saved us tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the purchase that we made that allowed us to then do other things in our life. Like when we both had a sabbatical at work, being able to go to Australia and New Zealand for 30 days because we were able to save the money to, do, to be able to do that. Some of the travel that we've done was is directly correlated to the fact that we didn't have a $2,000, $3,000 mortgage payment on the home that we lived in. It really allowed us to divert money to the things that were important to us. But to that end, we get a lot of emails and direct messages from people who say, you know, where can I live that's LGBTQ friendly, but isn't so expensive? You know, what are my options? Um, and so we've done a lot of research and uh, you can find at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 265, uh, a whole bunch of cities all around the country, and in fact, some around the world uh, that are gay friendly, LGBTQ friendly, but that are quote, second, third or fourth tier cities. So they're not, the, they don't have the expense of say the San Francisco, Castro, the Castro in San Francisco or Boys Town in Chicago, but they offer that community and that acceptance that we're all looking for. But on this particular podcast, we want to talk about what are the pros and cons of, of living in, in the premier or elite gay cities? And what should we be aware of when we're trying to make a decision of where exactly we want to live and settle down, and then hopefully use that as the basis for building our fabulous life? Right. And I think one thing is really important to remember, Castro, Chelsea, Boys Town, these various areas in these cities that everyone knows as the kind of the gay enclaves or the big places where everybody would like to be, think back to what they were like 20, 30, 40 years ago when the queer community first started to congregate in those areas. These were not the premier neighborhoods in town. They were, in many cases, the shithole part of the <laughs> shithole areas of, of the city. The Castro was, Chelsea, near all of the meatpacking district, all of that. These were not fancy, nice neighborhoods like they are today. And people chose to live there, especially LGBT people, but also other people that were at the lower end of the economic, socioeconomic spectrum. They chose to live there not only because they could afford to live there, but also they could congregate together around people that looked and felt like them, right? That now, 20 years later, 30 years later, the individuals who owned there during that time period that it ramped up, they took advantage of those increases in price. House rich. Right. So that is still somewhat possible. And I think there's a big thing right now with housing being so expensive, but there are still places where you can find areas within cities that it's not as expensive to hopefully take advantage of this uptick in the value of the neighborhood. So what are the pros and cons of living in gay cities? Also taking into account the more expensive gay cities, what are the benefits and drawbacks? That's what we're talking about today. So today we're going to start off with the five pros of living in the more expensive cities or more LGBTQ friendly cities. 
And I touched on that first one just now, and that whole idea that when you live in a slightly more expensive city, people know that they're going to pay a little bit more for property, right? So they know that there's most likely going to be an upward or a larger upward swing in the property values. And you can see this in areas where, you know, say, for example, you go and you buy a place that's $500,000 in a city that is a world-class city, right? if that value of that home goes up by 20%, that's $100,000. Whereas if you buy a $100,000 home in a, maybe a small town or more rural area, and it goes up by 20%, you're only going to get $20,000 increase in value. So you have a, it can have a bigger impact on how you actually take advantage of the uptick in prices, uptick in home values, which can really help you financially. That is a pro, but you do have to remember that property values are going to start pretty high. <laughs> exactly. Uh, number two is that there's a sense of security, right? I think that's part of why I think, especially when we're younger, we think about migrating to San Francisco and New York and Chicago Miami, maybe more more likely Fort Lauderdale, that there's our community, right? There's a sense of security that there are more people like me, there are more people who accept me, and I can not only be celebrated for being myself, but I can walk down the street holding my partner's hand. And that is just a sense of liberation that many people don't feel like they have in all areas of the country. And that's my, why there is this, this migration to LA and, and, and whatnot, because we, we want that sense of security. We want that feeling of safety that... and you know, if we've gone through high school not feeling like we could be ourselves, if we've gone through high school being bullied and picked on, we think to ourselves, when I'm an adult, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. And I'm going to move to where I'm accepted and not only accepted, but even loved and I can be myself. I think this one is especially important for individuals who appearance-wise fall outside of the binary spectrum, right? If you're not at one end of the binary spectrum, then you may feel like that it's you're going to find more people that are either accepting or more people who are similar to you in that spectrum. And so that can be a big thing for folks who want that or feel the need to have that security. The third thing here is a unique sense of community, which I think is important for a lot of folks who are maybe fleeing a small town or fleeing a family where they were not able to truly be themselves. So they're really looking for that community. So they may feel like there's less isolation. There are more LGBT centers. There are more meetups or events that happen, or there are more typical places to go. Maybe there's actually a pride parade in your city, <laughs> whereas there wasn't before. And other LGBT events, right? There may be events specifically for the trans community or specific events around National Coming Out Day. And you can see all of that kind of weaving itself throughout, not just the LGBT community, but even the broader community. There's more acceptance in the broader community. I think one of the big things that a lot of folks like is they like to go to, it's almost like a cheers, right? We like to go where everybody knows our name or we like to go to places <laughs> You're dating yourself. where, right. We, we <laughs> like to go to places where we feel comfortable. So there are quote unquote LGBT coffee shops, LGBT restaurants, LGBT bookstores. There are all these kinds of businesses, not just the bars or the dance clubs, but there's all these other businesses that we know are queer owned or predominantly queer operated. There's lots of queer people that work there. It just really helps us feel comfortable. And that's a great segue into point number four is that 
they tend to be better places to open an LGBTQ owned and operated brick and mortar business. We have more and more LGBTQ people are trying to become entrepreneurs. They want to open their own restaurants and coffee shops and bookstores and, and whatnot. And they also don't want to run the risk of having a brick thrown through their window in the middle of the night. And where is that less likely to happen? Well, in these more accepting locations. And so they're better places to open up LGBTQ owned and operated businesses because you, you do have that safety. And that entrepreneurship and that safety can help really catapult your financial security, which is what many folks are, are, are seeking. Yeah. And I think that all of this kind of ties into the final point, which is what a lot of people are looking for when they're first coming out or maybe when they're struggling, uh, whether that's struggling with mental health issues or financial issues, or whether they're going through some changes in their life, they're looking for the services that will be able to support them. And oftentimes in these big gay cities, when I think about what's available in New York City or LA or Chicago or Seattle, Miami, what the services that are available. We had Callan Lord, someone from Callan Lord. I can't remember what Finn's last name is right now, but Finn came on the podcast to talk about the services that Callan Lord is providing the queer community, specifically trans folks, back on episode 242. And Quinn even mentioned the fact that the kinds of services that are specifically for trans folks are very isolated in some of these major cities. So it may make it a little bit easier for trans folks to be in those cities when they need those services. But they also just may have LGBT centers, right? I mean, we, we were lived in the middle of central Pennsylvania for a while in near Lancaster. And Lancaster, even though a population of almost 500,000 people did not have an LGBT center, they were on the path to creating one, but they didn't have one, right? So some of the services or the community that you need are available in those big cities. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Well, so as we know, these gay cities, typically more expensive cities, are not all rainbows and unicorns. Right. We want them to be. <laughs> There's a yin and a yang to everything. So now we're going to tackle the five cons of living in these more expensive gay enclaves. And the first is the yang to the yin of the first from the pros list. And that is... <laughs> High property values create a higher barrier to entry. So yes, higher property values do typically have a greater chance for upward trajectory. They also are harder to get into and leave a lot of folks out. They leave us excluded because sometimes you, you need tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending upon whether you're going to be a renter or an owner. And taxes can be higher. Cost of living can be higher. Everything can just be more expensive. Parking your car can be more <laughs> expensive. And so there's just it's just more expensive. So you got to decide, is that really important to you? Are you willing to forego long-term financial security to be able to be in that, have that community that you're looking for to be among your people? Yeah. I, I, I would say, you know, this is a really big one, especially for folks who are in the middle of the country, right? I think that there are some cities that are exceptions, but if you're moving from somewhere like Rapid City, South Dakota, and you want to go to San Francisco, it's going to feel really, really, really expensive, right? You're going to go from a city where you probably could rent a two-bedroom apartment for under $1,000 to a place where you probably can't even rent a studio apartment for $1,000, right? So 
The second point here is that some of these cities just are massive, right? They may feel too big, that there may be just too many people. Some people don't want to be around that many people, but within the queer community, sometimes it can feel like it's even too big or there are too many. It may feel like it's easy to get lost in some of these communities. Some of these cities have really strong subsets within the LGBT community. And I think that brings up this point that sometimes in these big cities, especially because of maybe the transientness of somehow some of these big cities can feel, sometimes cliques form or it feels like there's a kind of an A-lister group. And if you're not a part of that group, you're an outsider, which could cause a lot of feelings of, either feeling lost or feeling like you're not a part of the the community and it may be more difficult for you in some of these cities than it maybe was even back home to be a part of the LGB, your smaller LGBT community. Yeah, it's kind of an, a curious twist that you think that you, you go to these bigger cities where there are more LGBTQ people and you'll think, oh, I'll just feel more social and out and about and it'll be more exciting. But it can actually sometimes be a different kind of isolation. Right. And so you're kind of getting lost amongst the crowd. Uh, and, and that can, you know, if you're having some mental health issues, that may not necessarily help your, your situation. Right. Number three here is that you run the risk of living in an echo chamber. And I think a lot of us sort of experienced this when Trump won the election unfortunately, four years ago, many of us were surprised that that actually happened. And I think uh, our, our friend Emma Johnson of the Like a Mother podcast said it poignantly that she kind of took ownership of the fact that she thought that everybody was agreed with the way she thought. She thought that everybody was voting the way that she was voting because she lives in New York City and the people were just like, no, I'm not voting for Trump. That's never going to happen. But we sort of forget that these are sort of bubbles that we're living in in these bigger cities. And so because you might see Democrat flags everywhere, or you can see that everybody's voting for the same candidate uh, with their posters hanging in their windows and hanging on their front yards, and you think, oh, okay, my candidate's going to win. And you might even become passive and think, oh, I don't necessarily need, need to go vote. But you, we kind of forget that there are whole swaths of the country who disagree with us and vote accordingly. And we run the risk of living in this echo chamber. So it's more incumbent upon us to, to do the research, watch the media that we probably wouldn't necessarily agree with, but that will educate us to see how the other side is thinking. Do the work to make sure you don't kind of get stuck in this echo chamber and just think that everybody thinks like you because they don't. Right. I think that combining this one with the previous one, the fact that there you may be in a city where there are just so many queer people, right? And then you live in a city where it seems like everyone kind of has a similar thought process. You may become complacent about the fact that mm -hmm. you're a queer person. Recently talking to another gay couple that lives here in in Las Vegas, they moved from Seattle and they said, everybody in Seattle is gay, right? So it may mean that some people, they may, may start to think that there aren't any rights to fight for anymore, right? Because they're not a part of the community that's fighting anymore. So we want to be careful that we don't end up kind of becoming complacent about the fact that there are still a lot of folks in our community that still need their rights protected and fought for. Exactly. Yeah. Number four here. If you decide to move to one of these big gay cities, there may be some benefits that you end up foregoing. So for example, if you're living, especially in an urban core area, you may find that it's harder to find great schools for your kids. Traditionally, unfortunately, it seems like urban schools 
aren't the best schools in the country. There's a variety of reasons for that. I think a lot of we think a lot of that has to do with the monetary situation of how schools are funded, the way that they supply teachers to those schools. But uh, that's a whole other podcast, right? But that's one thing that you could end up if you have a family, if you have children moving to one of these cities, you may end up finding that it's difficult to find great schools for your children. The other thing is, is you may be moving away from your biological family. Now, for me, that's not a big deal. I wanted to move away from my biological family and find my logical family. But for a lot of folks, they still want to be around mom and dad, grandparents, cousins, all those people. So they really are excited about their family and they love family life, but you may end up moving away from that. And then I think for folks who come from small, especially smaller towns, smaller cities, rural areas, you may be used to the quiet lifestyle and that just disappears unless you want to move out to the suburbs, which but then you may be stuck in a suburb that doesn't feel so welcoming or accepting. Yeah, I think some of the, you know some of these bigger cities are oftentimes tourist destinations. Right. So there's just more noise. There's more people, people that you don't know who may not necessarily be part of the LGBT community. There's more traffic, and like I said earlier, parking is more expensive. You have to weigh that. Like, is that is that worth it to you? And it might be worth it to you. Right. So totally people fine. love that. I, yeah. I, to a certain degree, I love that. I love being in the city. Right. But you have to be clear. Is that are you willing to give that up? you know, the quietness for the excitingness. Uh, but then of course, on top of that, you have to layer on the expense of it. Yeah. And finally, the slightly more affordable gay cities like the Castro and Boys Town and Chelsea, they're sort of the A-list cities. Or unique so experience, right? Unique experiences. But if you go to even just the tier two level cities, they are completely different. They're not apples to apples. So if you're looking for some of the, the gay friendly cities that aren't necessarily the top tier cities, the, the two are just far apart, right? You're not going to get the same exact experience. If you're trying to replicate the experience of the Castro, you can only get that <laughs> in the Castro. So if you want the experience, the vibe of the Castro or Chelsea or Boys Town, you kind of need to go live there. You know, our Airbnb in, in Chelsea in 2019, I think it was the value of that property it was 600 square feet. It was on the third floor. It had no elevator. It had no parking. The value of that property was $900,000 at that time. Right. So I think probably a million dollars today. Right. It speaks to the, the idea that there is a cost to the unique experience. And that is the, I think that's the con to these big cities is the, the cost to the unique experience. If you really want to have that unique gay experience of living in a neighborhood where almost everybody around you is queer to some degree, even if they themselves are not on the sexual spectrum that a lot of LGBT folks are, they still kind of appear as queer, right? You're not going to have that, but you're going to have to pay for it. The expenses are definitely there. Right. So you can go to these, you know, these second, third and fourth tier gay friendly cities, but they're, they're just not going to be like the New Yorks and the San Francisco's and whatnot. So places like, you know, Salt Lake City or Denver, Colorado, they're LGBTQ friendly, very LGBTQ friendly. They're not nearly as expensive, but the experience just isn't the same. So you have to kind of weigh that. If if you're if you need the Chelsea experience, you're only going to get that in Chelsea. Um, but if you're able to forego some of that, uh, some of these second, third, and fourth tier LGBTQ friendly cities might be something to consider. Right. So I think that to kind of kind of wrap this all up, I think that's what's really important about this here is with if you're looking for a place to go to, right? Uh, if you're looking for a new city, you need to find the place that's right for you. You can't afford everything. 
but you need to be able to afford the things that are most important or try to afford or pay for the things that are most important to you. Like our pal Paula Pant says, you can afford anything, but you can't afford everything, right? Yeah. And while it might be frustrating to feel limited to where you can live solely based on your LGBTQ status, and we totally get that, the truth is that most folks need to balance the, their needs with their wants, right? We're all sort of doing that in all aspects of our lives. And everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity, is doing that to some degree with where they decide to place their roots. So to help with this, we encourage you to make a short list of your must-haves. They should be like one to three things that you absolutely have to have. And that short list will likely dictate where it is that you want to live. But then you also want to create two other lists, uh, another list that has your wants to haves and a third list of your would like to haves. Once you get crystal clear on those things, then you can kind of figure out, okay, where, what cities do I want to go to? Do I need to go to these more expensive top tier A-lister LGBTQ friendly cities? Or are there second, third, and fourth tier friendly cities that I can go to that would be much more suitable for my needs as well as my long-term financial security? And if you're wondering what some of those second, third, and fourth tier cities are around the United States or even around the world, we encourage you to go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash 265. We have 25 plus LGBTQ friendly cities all around the world uh, that aren't nearly as expensive as New York, California, or Chicago. And I know we keep beating up on those states, so I apologize. <laughs> but they're not nearly as expensive as those three areas, but are also going to give you the community and the LGBTQ welcomeness that you're looking for. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. Know that there are more and more cities across the globe that are becoming LGBTQ friendly and consider some of these cities, cities that are second, third, or maybe even fourth tier cities that will allow you to find the perfect balance of quality of life and financial security that you need. If you're looking to see what some of these cities are, we created a list of them. So go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash 265 to see that list. Again, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you. So if you have money questions, post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we will see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.